Okay, we're beginning here on the bottom of Yudzayin and Mudbed by the Mishnah. Mishnah begins, Be'chemai omrim, en shorin dio, usmanim, kersinim, elekadeshi shoru mi ba'odiyom. So you're not allowed to soak these items, dio being ink, smanim being dyes. The kershinim from Rashi sounds like some sort of animal feed, bean of some sort, or it's others translate it as an alkaline plant. Elokadeshi shoru is until they dissolve mi ba'odyom. They have to dissolve prior to the beginning of Shabbat. That's Beit Shemai's opinion. Beitileo matirim. Beitileo says no problem. Beit Shemai omrim. Can't put bundles of wet flax into the oven. Till they become white before Shabbat, the onset of Shabbat. Rashi and Tosafot say that it's You're trying to whiten the flax, and that's why you're putting them in there. There are other opinions, like the Revo suggests that the reason you're putting them in there is to dry them out. There's wet flax, and you're trying to dry them out beforehand. Can't place wool into the cauldron, into the kettle. Unless the color takes hold, the dye takes hold prior to the Shabbat. In all these cases, Beitilel says no problem. One may not set out traps for animals, fish, birds. Unless they trap during the day prior to Shabbat. Beitilel says no problem. Tosafot quotes to Yushami, how is he sure that it's going to capture before daytime? They put it in the forest where there are lots of animals, trapped that only has room for one animal, that they can be pretty sure that it'll work before Shabbat comes in. One may not sell an item to a Nachri, you may not help load onto his donkey, and you can't put, load him up with any merchandise or items, unless he can get to a place close by, meaning a place that he needs to get to prior to the onset of Shabbat. Rashi says, the Nirak Messayol Alich Bishabbat. Looks like you're helping him to carry these items on Shabbat. Beitilel, Matirim, you do this all the way up to the moment before Shabbat. And even if you've sold it to the Nachri, so it's not even your item anymore. It's no problem for the Nachri to take an item that he bought from you. Problem is that it looks like he's doing work on your behalf. That one may not give skins to the tanner to work them. One may not give them to a non-Jewish launderer. Unless all the work is completed before the onset of Shabbat. Says you can give it to him right before sunset. They were machmian themselves, and they were nohayek. So you know dim klei lavan lekoves nachrish lo sheyamim kodem leshabbat. They used to give white clothing to the non-Jewish launderer three days before Shabbat. White clothing took longer to launder. B'shavin elu velush to anim korat beit avad v'igulei agat. That when it comes to these items, you're allowed to do them right at the onset of Shabbat. And that is to put the korot, the heavy beams, on the olive press, the igulei agat, and the round weights on the grapes. In both of these instances, and as Rashi explains here, and the Gemara is going to explain it later, what we are worried about is malacha do'oraito. When we're talking about malacha that's mina Torah, then we don't want you doing that right before Shabbat and letting it roll into the Shabbat. 
Because if you did it on Shabbat, you'd be chayav chatat. So we don't want you doing it right before Shabbat, because then you're going to come to do it on Shabbat. Where we're dealing with items that only meet the Rabbanan on Shabbat, then if you do them right with onset of Shabbat, we're not so worried. Because even if it went over into Shabbat, you won't be in violation of the Rabbanan. So as Rashi points out over here, these two pressings are only dine de Rabbanan. Because when you put the korot on the Beit Abad, in the olive press, you put the heavy beams down. And with the igulei gat, when you put these heavy, round weights on the grapes, they've already been pressed. The grapes have already been stomped on. And then after they've been stomped on, they bring the pile together in the center into a circle. And then they press the weights on them to press them again or to get the residual out. So the pressing, the main Isur of dash has already been done, just to separate the liquid from the solid. That's already been completed because you stomped on them. With the beta bad, with the olive press, they've already ground the olives. They milled the olives to get the juice out, and then afterwards they put them into the press to get the residual. So in both these cases, the ikur malachah dash is to separate the liquid from the solid has already been done. What's left here is an isur derabanan, and therefore Beit Shemai and Beit Hillel agree here that if you did this right before Shabbat, it's okay. That is permissible. Because everything happens by itself. It's all working by itself. It's all happening by itself. And therefore, it's permissible. Now, there are a couple of things. Tosafot actually lays out principles that are being used here in order to explain what's happening here. If you look at there's a Tosafot on the previous Amud. Even though over here, by the selling it to the Nachri, if you did this on Shabbat, you wouldn't be Chayav Chatat. So that's the first principle. If the non-Jew is doing something that you yourself couldn't do on Shabbat, and he has to actively be involved, then the Rabbanan said, don't do that right before Shabbat. Because it gets mixed up with your shliach, meaning that he's doing your bidding. Driving a donkey for you would be osur midoraita. Therefore we say don't give it to an akri right before Shabbat to be mechamer, to drive the donkey. Because it would be asur for you, he's doing it be a daim, and therefore he might get mixed up with doing work for you on your behalf. Aval, behanach dvarim deresha, sheino se b'shabbat isur b'yadayim, lo gazru, idlalav mechayev chatat. So, for instance, by giving the skins to the tanner, why is there any problem there? He's not doing an Isabriya dime. He puts them into the chemicals. He puts them into whatever he has to do to cure the skin. And it's all done. So, Nachwi's not doing a biyadayim. So, over there, Joseph Wood says, there the Isur is because if it was done on Shabbat, it would be an Isur Chatat. Therefore, you may not put it in before Shabbat. So, the two principles that he's laying out for this Mishnah are, one, if you would be Chayav Chatat on Shabbat, you may not ask the Nachri to do it right before the Shabbat, going into the Shabbat, because of the risk that he might come to do it on Shabbat, even though it'll happen in Memela on Shabbat. The number two thing is, if you involve a non-Jew, if the non-Jew has to do the work biyadaim, he has to be actively involved, then it's problematic because we would get mixed up bishlucho as if he's doing your work. And since he's actively involved in the process, we don't allow you to do that coming into Shabbat. That's be something that's Asur Torah that the Nachri is doing, that if you did it, it would be Asur Torah. If he does it biyadaim, you can't do it. He says, that'll explain basically what we laid out over here. All right, so that's the two principles that Tosfot lays out. The other thing Tosfot mentions here, which is important, Rabbeinu Tam says this in a number of places. It's an interesting Rabbeinu Tam. He says it here, he says it in Abodazara. He had a very interesting daya, which seems to be make a lot of sense, which is, 
Here, if you hire a non-Jew to work and build your house, can they build on Shabbat? Now, if he's a direct employee of yours, the answer is obviously no. If you are hiring him, whether he is a day laborer, or whether he is hired by the month or the week, then you can't do it because he's clearly working on your behalf on Shabbat. On the other hand, if you hire him as a kablan, as a contractor, then when he works or how he works has nothing to do with you. You've now given it all over to his hands. You're paying for a finished product, a finished product that is up to him to take care of. You're not directly hiring him to do work on a specific day or any specific type of work. You're hiring him to have a finished product and you're paying him for that. How he chooses and when he chooses to do that, that's his own issue. That's his own business. And therefore, the Rebbeinu Tam suggested that hiring contractors would be mutar, which we don't do today. And the Rebbeinu Tam has strong arguments here. The Tosavot deals with some of the proofs that he brings and the rejection and the support of those proofs. But then at the end, it's a very interesting line in the Tosavot. The Rebbeinu Tam passed like that. And the Rebbeinu Tam is much more explicit. Here he has one line. He says, Rebbeinu Tam, Nami, Shibana Beito, when he built his own house, Lo samach al tshuvato v'lo hatir. It was not sumeich in his own chiddush to allow that a kablan, that a contractor could build on Shabbat, and he was not willing to allow that to happen, that he would not build in that manner, and that's the way we paskin, that even with the contractor, it's problematic unless it's chutz l'tchum, unless it's outside of the tchum Shabbat, where nobody will know that he's doing it. And they're over there, then there's no longer any worry that the kablan looks like he's working for you directly on Shabbat, and so then you've got rid of the Marat Ayn issue, and again with Kablanut, it's no problem because he's not working specifically for you for a specific item on a specific day. Yes, oh, very good. So that's the end of the Tosvot here. There's a Tosvot Yishanim that's added over here that says, first of all, Miu Bisadeh Mutar, in fields it is Mutar, as opposed to building houses, because whereas a principle, Arisa Rusutei Avid, when a person works in the field, when he's a sharecropper, he's working on his own behalf. Because he is a sharecropper. He gets a portion of the field. And so he's not working for you. He's working for his benefit. The 20 or 40% that he gets out of the field. That's why he's working. He couldn't care less about you. He has to pay you because he needs the field. But it's, he's working on his own behalf. And there it's well known that people are sharecroppers. So there's no question over there. But like David just said, When you give a Nachrid a job to do on your behalf, to fix your shoes, or to take care of some item, to buy something you, don't tell him to do it tomorrow. Do it on Shabbat. Because then he becomes like a day laborer for you. You do it when you want. If he chooses to do it on Shabbat, that's his choice. As long as you're not directing him or forcing him to do it on Shabbat and do the Bach on your behalf. That's why important here it's less common in Israel, but in Chutzlar it's much more common. People, for instance, with a mechanic, want to drop their car off before Shabbat and pick it up on Motzei Shabbat. If you drop it off two minutes before Shabbat and pick it up two minutes after Shabbat, it's clear that he did the work on Shabbat. He has no choice. You have to give him the option to do the work. If you drop it off two hours before Shabbat and he's too busy and he decides to do it on Shabbat, that's his choice. You gave him enough time to do it beforehand. How he chooses to prioritize and to do the work, that's his issue. But you have to give him the opportunity or the ability to do the work before the onset of Shabbat. Right, those are two very important Tosafot, so I didn't want to miss them. Now we go back to the Gemara. Mantana, netinat maim ledio, zohi shiriyatan. Who's the one who says that putting the water together with the ink that is considered to be the Shriya, they're soaking, and that is considered to be the Isur. The Isur is not to mix them, the Isur is simply to pour the water in there. So I'm Rav Yosef Rabihi. This is authored by Rabbi Titania. Echa notenet ha-kemach, ve'echa notenet ha-mayim, 
If one person puts in the flour, one person puts in the water, acharon chayav, divrei rabbi. The latter one is always chayav. Rabbi Yossi, or it's Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, Omer, inu chayav, ajigavel. You're not chayav until you need it. Pouring water and flour together is not the isur. The isur is mixing them, govel, to actually knead them together. That's the isur of lisha, the abmoch of lisha on Shabbat. But to simply pour water together with flour, that's not the case. But you see from Rabbi, that he thinks that pouring the water and the flour together is the isur. And same would be true here. Soaking the ink to make it usable would be the equivalent of putting the water together with the flour. Maybe Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yehud only objects to the position of Rabbi Rabbi in a case where you normally would need such an item. Kemach and water, as we said before, you don't just pour them together. You have to actually need them in order for, to get to the next stage. When you're talking about ink, the lab bar it's not something that you mix. It's not something that you have to actually need. You simply pour the water together. That is the next stage. It's done at that point. Maybe he would also agree to Rabbi's position. Why are you saying this is only the position of Rabbi and not Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda? Even Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda might agree in this case. You put in ashes and water. Again, the one who ever takes the latter action, according to Rabbi, is Chayab, because he completed the process. Until they actually need it. So here we're talking about Efer. Efer is something that is not normally needed. It's something that you soak in water. You don't need it in water. And yet, Rabbi Yossi has his position that until you mix them, there is no Isur violated here. Vidilma my afer. What do you mean afer? Afer ashes maybe afar the bargibulu. We're really talking about earth or dirt, which is something that you can knead and you can make into a solid object. So the Gemara is saying maybe here there was a mix-up in the bright. Uh, a lot of we've seen it in other places in Shas where afer really means afar. So maybe that was the mix-up here. Gemara says you can't say that. Vatanya afer, vatanya afar. We have. Two different brightot. One brighter that says afer with an aleph. One brighter that says afar with an ayin. So what do you mean they got mixed up? Here we have two clear separate statements in the brighter of the position of Rios Yudah. Interesting answer to the Gemara. Midei tanya. With these brightot juxtaposed, who says that these brightot are authored by the same person? We have brightot of Raboshia. We have brightot of Rabchia. Maybe one brightot was from the school of Rabchia. One was from the school of Raboshia. And... The two of them are saying the same thing, afar. One of them, when it said afar, really meant afar. You can't question two brightos and say the brightos are problematic unless you know that they have a similar origin over here. Since they don't necessarily have a similar origin over here, maybe they're from two schools and they both mean afar. You can't prove anything to me about Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yehuda's position based on these brightos. Putkim mayim legina erev Shabbat im you're allowed to open up the water chute or the water channel into the garden right before Shabbat and then it'll fill for the entire Shabbat. You're allowed to let the water continue to flow and to fill the area over Shabbat. Also, one can place the incense under the clothing and you can have them go the entire Shabbat. So here, when they used to launder in order to deodorize the, key, the clothing afterwards, they used to place this incense under it and leave it there. 
And the incense used to deodorize the kelim. And here you put it on right before Shabbat and you let it go through the whole Shabbat. And one can place pitch under the kelim utensils here. Here we're talking about silver utensils. And then they have the pitch under them the entire Shabbat. Rashi explains that this is silver in which you carve or etch pictures. And in order to highlight the pictures, what they used to do was they put pitch under the silver to blacken the silver and to highlight the etching. The etching would not become blackened and therefore the etching would then become pronounced because it remained silver while the rest of the clay became black. And one can place eye ointment on the eye. And a bandage over a wound. And it can go ahead and be curative and work for the entire Shabbat. Aval. You may not place wheat inside of a water mill. Unless milling is completed before Shabbat. My time. What's the reason for this? Because it makes a lot of noise. It's a principle on Shabbat called Abshamilta. Abshamilta is that you may not be engaged in activities on Shabbat that make a lot of noise. Part of the Shvita the Shabbat is that even though they're not malacha in and of themselves, they're not problematic, but because they make a lot of noise, that's considered to be a problem or a violation of the Shvita the Shabbat, and one may not do it on Shabbat. Not an Isur, but a violation of the Assei of Shabbat, of Shvita the Shabbat, that one must rest and make it into a quote-unquote Shabbat type of atmosphere. When you have the quote-unquote Shabbat atmosphere, that atmosphere means that there shouldn't be too much noise. Right. That is part of the issue is that people might think you're working. But even with the knowledge that you're not working, which is here in a water mill, even if you set it up before Shabbat, and there is no human intervention, as opposed to a hand mill or a mill run by animals, over there you couldn't even do this before Shabbat because of a separate issue, which is you're working on Shabbat. The working is being done on Shabbat either by you or by your behemoth, who both are need to rest on the Shabbat. Here it's happening by itself. You have no intervention. There's nothing to do with you. But because of the noise, the abshamilto, that's a problem on Shabbat. And it's a, as Rashi says, ikaziluta. It's not just that people think you're working, but it's a denigration, it's a inappropriate type of noise that you make on Shabbat, on the day of rest. So that's Rabbi's opinion about why that is a sur, as opposed to the first half of the Brayta. Summer of Rav Yosef, Mishum Shvitat Kelim. Why don't you say the whole problem here is that Kelim need to rest on Shabbat as well. We said so far, humans must rest on Shabbat. Your animals must rest on Shabbat. What about your utensils? What about your property? Do they have to rest on Shabbat as well? So Yosef says, what about Shabbat? So this is the end of the Pasuk that deals with Shabbat. That your animals must rest on Shabbat, the manu yonuach shorcha bechamorocha on the Shabbat, that they rest, and then it says, The word of Bechol, everything, everything includes your utensils, your items, your property, they must rest on Shabbat. I'm telling you, the reason here that it's not permissible to use the water mill is because your kelim, your utensils, must rest on Shabbat. Now, well, now, if you think that Beitilel thinks that Shvitat kelim is mina Torah, that you're explaining this right according to Beitilel, and saying that Shvitat kelim applies to everybody, 
even Beit Hillel, then Gafrit Umigbar, my time was Sharu. What about the earlier part of the Brayta? In the earlier part of the Brayta, we let you use the incense, we let you use the pitch, we let you do all of these items that involve your utensils, and they continue through the Shabbat. Why over there is it permissible? And over here by the watermill, is it impermissible? He says, Mishom Deloka Avid Masse. There's no action being taken over here. They're, they go by themselves, and they do whatever work they have to do without your intervention. They aren't really active. It's a passive activity, we call it. A fire continues to burn, and that's it. The incense comes out, or the pitch blackens the item. But you don't have any really activity. With the mill, the mill is actually moving. The mill is going and moving, even though it's a water mill and you have no actual activity there. You're not doing anything, but the movement of the mill and the activity of the mill is the problem here, and that's the problem of Shvitat Kelim. So Kelim that simply are bases or holders, that's not going to be the problem. The problem is when there's something active happening inside of the Kelim. So the Gemara says, Onim shel pishtan maitayim mashoru. Okay, so now you've explained Gafrit and Mugbar. What about our Mishnah? In our Mishnah, we had the Onim Shal Pishtan, which Beit Shemai said was a sewer, but Beit Hillel said was Mutar, that you're allowed to dry out the flax before Shabbat. And there the Kli is important to it. The Tanur is a part of the activity. Mishum Delo Avid Maaseh. So because again, he didn't do any Maaseh. It's the equivalent of the Mugbar and the Gafrit, where you place it, the fire is going, and they simply are there to hold the activity. They're not doing anything active. So Wait, what about traps? When you lay out traps before Shabbat, where Beit Shemai says it's a sur, Beit Yilal says it's mutar, the traps actually work on Shabbat. They trip the trap on Shabbat, and that captures the animal. My time is Why is that mutar? There are cases where they use traps that are not active. They use a lechi, like a fish hook. The hook is there, the fish just comes and bites it, and that's it. It's stuck. The trap itself is not active. It's a, just sits there in the water. And kokori are the equivalent of, you see sometimes the dogs wearing them, these hoods that are narrow in the front and wider in the back. So what ends up happening is the animal runs into them, or a fish goes into them, and they put their head in, but their body is unable to move through. But when they try to pull back out, because they're sharp or because they're narrow, it gets caught, whether it's on their ears or on their fins on the way out, they, they can't get themselves out of the trap afterwards. So again, the traps themselves are not active here. They simply sit in place, and then the animal becomes trapped. So And there, that's the reason that there's no problem with Shvitat Kelim. According to Voshia, who says the author of Shvitat Kelim Doraita is Beit Shemai, below Beit Hillel, and not Beit Hillel. Until now, it sounds like Rabbi Yosef suggests that the author of Shvitat Kelim is even Beit Hillel. And then we have to make explanations, or have come to explanations for all these activities here, that why Beit Hillel says they're mutar, even though they think that Shvitat Kelim is problematic. But Rabbi says, no, that the Tan or the author of the position of Shvita Kilim in a Torah is Beit Shemai, not Beit Hilal. The Beit Shemai, Ben Kavid Maase, Ben Lo Kavid Ase, Asur. The way Beit Shemai's position works in Shvita Kilim, it doesn't matter if the utensil is active or inactive, they are Sur and Shabbat. The Beit Hilal, Afagav, the Kavid Maase, Shori. And according to Beit Hilal, even if it's active on Shabbat, it's Mutar. So then, according to Beit Shemai, who says that even 
When it's not active, it's a sur. mugmar v'gafrit. My time a show Why do they allow this activity of Mugmar and Gafrit? We didn't see any objection in the in the Brito to the fact that Mugmar and Gafrit were allowed to be done. So Mugmar says, They placed it into the ground. They didn't use a kli. They dug a, a shallow pit in the ground and they lit the fire inside of that shallow pit. And in lighting inside of the shallow pit, then you have the Mugmar, the Gafrit, burning inside the ground, not inside of a kli. Therefore, according to Beit Shemai, it would be fine. Then, what about Gigit, Vidner, Vikterav, Shiput, all of these items? Rashi says, Gigit, Shashecher, Betochol, the barrels that the beer is inside of them. And all these, the items like Kdera, Shiput, all these Kelim that you use on Shabbat, and we know that are Mutar to be used on Shabbat, my time is Sharu Beit Shemai. How can you use your Kelim on Shabbat? So Mar says, the Mafkelu Afkure. That you disown the kelim, and therefore you're not mitzvah shvitatan. By disowning the kelim, we allow you then to use these or utilize them on Shabbat. Oh, so it's very interesting. So Tosafot asks your question and says, "Wait a minute, being a mafkir your kelim is not so easy." Gemara in the Darim says that you have to do it in front of three people, and you have to make this declaration, and it's it's not just a simple you know willy nilly thing where you can just be mafkir your kelim. So Tosafot over here says that here they were makil. Says, over here you don't have to do it in front of three people. The mistama mafkilu. We assume that he would be mafkil them here. We know that he really wants this to happen and he would do it. He says, but aimless smokha zela skir susanakir. Can't go and rent out your horse to a non-Jew and then say, ah, oh, mafkir it, so that when he uses it on Shabbat, it's not a problem. You can't do that. He says that's much more. First of all, nobody's gonna be mafkir their sus. First of all, you're collecting uh, rent on it and you're getting paid for it, and to say that oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's not mine, that you can't do. Then you have to do a formal disengagement from the ownership here. He says, that's not going to work. He says, number one over here, you're trapped. Beit Shemai says, you're trapped. How do you have a candle? You light your candles going to Shabbat. What are you going to do? Your candlesticks are burning through Shabbat. How can you do that? Or other activities, your Kedera that you leave on the oven going into Shabbat. If it's done in a permissible manner, it's cooking, it's still being heated into the Shabbat. How do you do that? So since there's no other way to do it, we allow you to do that. And ain't of our for some. It's not a public activity. It's not something that where everybody else knows about it. It's you know, your horse that's working out in the field that people know about. Whether your candle is working in the house or your lamp is working in the house, that nobody knows about. Nobody's focused on. So Tosavot asks your question. Says here we're mikil by hefker to say yeah, if he simply says I don't want it anymore, that's enough according to Beit Shemai. Now what Shaul says Tosavot over here you can see Beit Shemai says now based on that reasoning. The first three sections of the Mishnah. The reason that you're not allowed to do them on Shabbat is because of Shvitat Kelim. According to Beit Shemai, the way Raboshi is explaining it, why Beit Shemai objects in those instances is because of Shvitat Kelim. But the latter half of the Mishnah, Whether your Kelim are not involved. So what's the latter half of the Mishnah about? Time said that over there we're getting worried that he's doing your bidding. And we don't want him doing your bidding in Melachot because you might come to do it yourself. If you tell someone else to do it, you'll eventually end up doing it yourself. The Mishnah will be divided up into two reasons. The first half of the Mishnah because of Shvitat Kelim. The latter half of the Mishnah because of Shluchot. It looks like the Nakri is doing your activity. Now in terms of Sakalocha, it's interesting, there's a Machloket in the Tosafot here as to how we paskin. So if you look, Hashadam Ravoshi, it's the last Tosafot on Yudcherem and Aleph. 
Omer Rabbi Notam. The Hilcha took Rabbi Yosef. The Lach is like Rabbi Yosef that says the problem here is Shvitat Kelim. To Muki Brighta, Kibet Shemai. Because he can set up the bright like Beit Shemai. That Rabbi Oshia, Kai Kavate. Because Rabbi Oshia is like him who says that the problem here is Shvitat Kelim. It says you have Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi Oshia. So you have a Amora, you have an Amora and then a Tana who are both saying that the problem here is Shvitat Kelim. Ulfizeh, according to this, Rechaim Mutarim. Then you can use the mill. The water mill on Shabbat would be Mutar. To the day, Beitilo Shari. Because according to him, Beitilo would say that's totally fine. There's no problem with Shvitat Kelim. Even if it's active. And he doesn't worry about this milta. He doesn't worry about this noise issue on Shabbat. So basically what Tosafot is explaining here is that the Machlok between Rab and Rabbi Yosef of how they explain the Braita, Rabbi said the problem in the Braita with the milling is that it makes noise. Rabbi Yosef says the problem in the Braita is that it is Shvitat Kelim. That the Kelim are active on Shabbat. So Rabbi Tam says now, I have Rabbi Yosef saying the problem is Shvitat Kelim. I have Rabbi Oshia saying the problem is Shvitat Kelim. That must be the Allah is Shvitat Kelim. But we don't pass them like that, because that's Beit Shemai. We pass them like Beit Hillel. If we pass them like Beit Hillel, you can mill on Shabbat in a water mill, no problem. Because what, problem with noise? Rabbi Yosef doesn't consider noise to be an issue. Only Rabbah did, but we don't pass them like Rabbah. But then, that's what says, Velinira. Derboshia, lo muki, that Rabbiosia is not like Beit Shemai, la shasu to come It's not Rabbiosia who says that, the author of that Brita is Beit Shemai. It's the Gemara that's saying that. Tahamani, Beit Shemai, aliba de Rabbiosia, to muki la mishum shvitat kelim. That according to Rabbiosia, who says that Brita is speaking about shvitat kelim, then we're going to establish that it is Beit Shemai. Ava Rabbiosia matzinu lameimer, de muki la ke Beit Hillel. Maybe Rabbiosia himself thinks it's Beit Hillel. And he holds like rabble. So what the Gemara says is, what Tosfut suggests over here is that the Gemara has two opinions. The opinion of Rabbi Yosef that the Brayta is problematic because of Shvita Kelim. I have a position of Oshia that says that Pichemai thinks Shvita Kelim is problematic. What did the Gemara do? It put the two together. It said Rabbi Oshia plus Rabbi Yosef. If I put them together, it means the Brayta is authored by Pichemai. But that does not mean that Rabbi Oshia himself believes that that Brayta is like Pichemai. That was the Gemara's doing. But Rabbi Yosef himself might hold that that Brayta is according to Beit Hillel. And the problem in there is, as Beit Hillel says, is because of Shmat Kol, because like Rabba. So I have no proof from here that Rabbi Yosef is supporting the position of Rabbi Yosef. The Gemara thinks that, but Rabbi Yosef himself, we don't have a proof to that. And therefore, Bechem Pasak Rach. And therefore, the Rabbeinu Hanan was passing that way, that we time along to Rabbi Oshaya, that we pass like Rabbi Oshaya, that Shvita Kilim is a problem of Beit Shemai. Umuta Vashil Kilim Nenachri. You can lend out things to Nenachri. You can lend out your kelim to a non-Jew and he can do whatever he wants with them because there's no din of shvitat kelim. Your animals are sur because they're your chayav in shvitat beima as opposed to shvitat kelim. But if we do say the Allah is our Moshe, we have no proof that he doesn't hold of Avshamilta. And therefore, we do paskin, that's the way we do paskin Allah, that Avshamilta is a problem on Shabbat. And anything that's a noisy activity on Shabbat, one is not permitted to do on the Shabbat. So the water mill then would be a sewer. You see, Machlokit and Tosafot, whether the locha Avshemilta is a problem, we baskin and Tosafot concludes that Avshemilta is a problem, even according to the conclusion of this Gemara here. All right, now, continuing in the Gemara, we now are going to enter into a area that is some of the fundamentals of issues of Shia, leaving items on the fire, going into Shabbat, cooking on Shabbat. Mantan Rabbanan. Who's the author of this Tosefta? A woman should not fill up a pot full of these, as Rashi says, 
that they are these whether the legumes or some sort of item that requires heavy cooking. Termesima are lupines, asesiot are pounded wheat or peas, or according to Rashi, some form of kidneyot. She can't put them in. If she did this, if she did do it, then she may not benefit from them, may not get, take them out of the tenure on Motzei Shabbat and use them. You have to have enough time post-Shabbat that you could have done this. Because we don't want you benefiting from Malacha that was done on Shabbat. A baker should not fill up a pot full of water on Erev Shabbat, right at the onset of Shabbat, in order that he have hot water on Motzei Shabbat in order to bake with. If he does do so, the Motzei Shabbat is serim On Motzei Shabbat, we penalize you and say you have to wait until you could have done this whole malacha after Shabbat. So who's the author of this position? So This sounds like Beit Shemai, which is a problem of Shvitat Kelim. Your Kelim are doing work on Shabbat, and that's the problem over here. Below Beit Hillel. Beit Hillel says Shvitat Kelim is fine, so they should be allowed according to Beit Hillel. The Gemara says, Afilu Tema Beit Hillel. Even Beit Hillel will agree in this case. Gezeira, Shema Yichateh B'Gechalim. Maybe you will stoke the fire. So here we introduce something that's very important, which is Beit Hillel agrees to Beit Shemai in these instances, which is we have a difference in opinion between Beit Shemai and Beit Hillel. Beit Shemai says Shvitat Kelim, Asur, is is mandatory on Shabbat. Your Kelim cannot be involved in any Melacha on Shabbat. Beit Hillel says Mutar. That means that technically anything that you put in place right before Shabbat, as long as the Melacha works by itself, Going into the Shabbat, Beit Shemai is going to say Asur, Beit Hillel is going to say Mutar. The exception to that rule has to do with cooking. The exception to the rule is that cooking, and that is because of exactly what Beit Hillel says here, Shema Yechateh B'Gechalim, you might stoke the fire. We have an extreme fear that if you see going into Shabbat that it's not working what you want to happen, you're going to stoke the fire in order to increase the heat in there, and to have whatever you want to accomplish happen, and Beit Hillel agrees that that we worry about going into Shabbat. Therefore, in these instances where you want the water to stay hot through Shabbat and be ready on Motzei Shabbat. You want the Turmesim and Ashesiot to be done after Shabbat. You want the heat to be sufficient that they cook. If it's not, what are you going to do? You're going to stoke the fire to ensure that they cook faster. That, even Beit Hillel agrees, we have a chashash for and we're not going to allow you to do going into Shabbat. When it says, Yochim, Mugmar v'gafrit, Nami Ligzor. What happened to the incense and to the pitch? We said before you're allowed to have them deodorize the clothing or blacken the silver utensils. How come those are allowed? That's not a fire. So why don't you go zero over there for the same problem? Shemei chateh b'chalim. When it says, Hatam lo Nobody stokes that fire. Dimachtik salik kutra. This is a very, very delicate and gentle process, which is that you need the clothes to be deodorized, but what you don't want to happen is smoke to come up. Smoke comes up. Black smoke comes up there. You're going to ruin the kalim. You're going to ruin the clothing that's sitting there. So you want them to deodorize without any black smoke coming up. Bekashilu, and that will ruin them. The same thing with the silver. They have to burn at a very specific rate. If you stoke the fire, you risk making them burn faster or cause black smoke to come up. And if that's the case, you're going to ruin them. What about our Mishnah? Onim shel pishtan. What about the bundles of wet flax in our Mishnah? Nami ligzor. Over there, you should also have the same problem with stoking the fire. Hatam came into kashilu zika. Problem there is that air gets in there, it ruins them. They have to be cooked inside, of, they have to be baked inside of the oven in a way that they're not exposed to the air. If they're exposed to the air, it ruins them. They have to be completely sealed in. 
So nobody's going to risk ruining them than opening up to look inside because then it would ruin them. So you're not going to stoke the fire because you can't get access to it without ruining them. Similarly, what about wool inside of the cauldron to dye it? We're talking about a yoreh, a cauldron that's off the fire. So says, Worry about mixing it. So this is another important principle in cooking on Shabbat. That megis. Mixing is the equivalent of cooking on Shabbat. Because you increase the process of cooking by mixing it. So for instance, this happens all the time, if you have a cholent, that is on the crockpot. If you open up the cholent on the crockpot and you want to take out from that cholent, unless you scoop off the top of it, it is a sewer because you're mixing it while it's alaish, while it's on the fire. And that's considered to be a problem of cooking on Shabbat. Megi salaish on Shabbat is the equivalent of bishul b'Shabbat. And one may not... Take items out of a pot on the fire on Shabbat. You have to remove them from the fire before you take items out. Before you scoop the food out, because you're going to come to mix it while you're scooping the food out. Again, unless you skim the top off, which in most cases people don't do when they're serving, whether it's soup or it's cholent. They mix it first, and then they serve it, because otherwise you're just going to get what's on top there, not the entirety of the dish. So this is a problem. It's over here too. So he took the cauldron off the fire to dye the item, but he could still mix it in order that the... Dye will take better. So that will be a problem. Bishol on Shabbat. So Bakura Betucha. That not only is it off the fire, it's sealed. It's sealed up on top. They used to put some sort of seal on the top of the item to keep the heat inside. And therefore your excess is blocked. So since your excess is blocked, nobody's going to go undo the seal and then go mix it on Shabbat. Even though, and this is an important exception, that if you sealed it up, and the question was whether you're going to stoke the fire or not, people will break the seal to stoke the fire. They will not break the seal in order to mix. So this is an important thing. How worried they were about stoking the fire was an activity that seems to be very common and something that people were anxious about. And they would do it. Like, without thinking, they would do it. I'm assuming because getting fire and getting fires lit and having things stay hot was very difficult in their day. To stoke the fire was something that was very important. To keep things lit and hot was very important, and therefore, stoking the fire is something that we worry about, even if it's sealed. We're going to see that in a second. Over here, once it's sealed, to mix the pot, that the guy will remember. By the time he's done doing the seal, remember it's Shabbat, he won't do it. But, for Shema Yechatebe Gechalim, we still worry about it, even when it's sealed. And we're going to see that in one second in the Gemara. Alright, so next, the Gemara says, Vashta Mar Mar, Gzeira Shema Yechatebe Gechalim. Once we introduce this concept of stoking the fire, then Haik Deira Chaito. If you have a pot full of raw meat, you can put it onto the fire right before Shabbat and not worry about it. My Since you have no intent of eating it tonight, the purpose of putting something raw on the fire is that it will be ready for the next day. Ready for the next day, nobody's going to come and stoke the fire because there's plenty of time to cook. It's plenty of time to be ready. Stoking the fire is when we, there's a certain amount of anxiety about it. You want it ready for now, and it's not cooking fast enough. The heat is not high enough. In those areas, we worry about But, in instances where you put raw items onto the fire, there you have no intent of being finished tonight. There it's fine. Therefore, Bushil, Shapirdami, and it'll cook over that period of time without any problem. Bushil, Velo, Bushil, Asur. If it's partly cooked, then it's Asur. Partly cooked is because the assumption is that it's going to be ready for tonight. 
And since it'll be ready for tonight, then you're going to go stoke the fire in order to accelerate the cooking so that it's ready for your Friday night meal. Now, Tosafot points out, when we see Bashil below Bashil, Tzarech Lamar, Tulavi Kemachel Ben Dusai. Has to be below the threshold of Machel Ben Dusai. Machel Ben Dusai is the threshold for cooking on Shabbat. If it reaches that point, then you're already considered to be cooked on Shabbat. It's Machloket Avishonim, whether that means one-third cooked or one-half cooked. But if the item is cooked beyond that point, there's no longer an Isra Bishul Midoraita in terms of salads. And after that point, you could leave it on the oven. Because then, even if you stoked it on Shabbat, technically you would not be increasing the bishul because it's already mevushal. So there, it has to be below that threshold, but partly cooked and not totally cooked, where it could be ready for tonight. There we worry about Shemi Chalim. So now, what's the solution to that problem? This is a solution for a cholent as well. Which is that if you put up the cholent right before Shabbat, you don't have a problem because everything's raw in there. You don't expect to eat it beforehand. If you put up the cholent very early on Friday morning, then everything's cooked. By the time you come into Shabbat, technically it's cooked and it just continues to cook through the Shabbat. It's already past Machal bin Dusai. But if you put it on like an hour or two before Shabbat, then you do run into a problem where it could be ready for Friday night. And we have the problem with Shemi Yichatebe Kechalim. So the suggestion, and this is what the Gemara says here, Bishadibegar Machaya Shapirdami. You put in one limb, you put in one aver raw, put in one piece of meat right before Shabbat, that's enough. As long as you throw in one raw item right before the Shabbat, that means the person's Messiah died. He doesn't have any intent to use it anymore. If you put something raw in right before Shabbat, we know that you're not going to use it Friday night, and therefore the whole chashash of Shemi Yichatebe Chalim goes away. Anything that's exposure to the air is problematic for people do not open up. Haibisra de Gedayo the meat of a deer, of a goat, vishorik, and the oven is sealed, shafir dami. Then you can put on before Shabbat and we don't worry about it because you won't break the seal to stoke the fire because you'll ruin the roasting of the deer. The barcha, on the other hand, if it's a large animal, like ayol gadol, large ram, velo sharik, and it's not sealed, the oven, a sore. There it's a sore because you will come to stoke the fire in order to have it cook because there you don't have either of them. Exposure to the air is not problematic and it's not sealed. Question is, where do you have one of them? Digdaya velo sharik. You have a goat in there, which will be affected by exposure to the air, but it's not sealed. Or the bark of a sharik. Or you have a large ayo, a sheep, a ram, that's in there, that won't be affected by your exposure, but it's sealed. Is that enough to stop you from stoking the fire? Ravashi shari, Ravashi says it's fine. Ravir miyami difti asir, says it's asur. Ula Ravashi the shari. According to Ravashi, says it's mutar. Hatznan, we have a Mishnah coming up. Insulin, basar, batsal, ubeitza. You're not allowed to roast meat, onions, and eggs. Elekadeshit, solomi, yom, unless they're roasted before Shabbat, the onset of Shabbat. So, hatam, the barchavalo sharik. That's a case where exposure to air does not affect them. And it's not sealed, the oven. Therefore, it is asur. Even according to Ravashi. So, igadamre, the dayo ben sharik, ben lo sharik, shapir dami. So some say that this is the way to phrase it, that when it's talking about a goat, whether it's sealed or not sealed, it's okay, because the exposure to the air is going to ruin it, nobody's going to open it up. The barchanami, even by an ayol gadol, vesharik, and it's sealed, shaperdami, because it's sealed. Kilblige, where do they argue? The barcha below sharik, in a case where it's an ayol and it's not sealed. The ravashi shari, ravashi says there it's mutar, pravir mi midifti asur. Ula Ravashi, the Shari, Ravashi says, Mutar, Ratznan, again, the Mishnah coming up, Insulin, Basar, Batsa, Ubeitza, El Kadeish, Shitzolomi, Botiom, you can only roast these items in the case where they'll be roasted before Shabbat. My answer is, Hatam, Babisra, Gumre. They were talking about meat directly on the coals. They're not inside the oven, they're directly on the coals, it's cooking on the coals themselves. 
So because of that, we can't allow you to do it because there's a high likelihood that you're going to stoke the coals, even according to Ravashi. Ravashi over there, you don't have anything. You don't have a seal on the oven. You don't have any mitigating factor that's going to make you or stop you from stoking the fire. So I'm Ravina, hi krachaya, shapir dami. If you have a raw gourd, shapir dami. Kevin the zika. It's the same principle. Since exposure to air is problematic for it, it's the equivalent of meat of a goat, where exposure to air is problematic, and therefore you're not going to stoke the coals, because you're not going to risk opening the oven in order to stoke the coals, because it will ruin the item. If that's the case, that's a mitigating factor. What you see here is that the sealing of the oven by itself is not sufficient, because the sealing of the oven, according to Rabbi Irmi Abidifti, will break through. Even though sealing of the yoret was enough to stop you from mixing it, it's not enough to stop you from stoking the fire, and therefore the seal is not enough. You need grufa and tumah, you have to remove the fire, you have to clear out the coals, you have to make it that there's no possibility that you will stoke the coals. Alright, says you may not sell to an achri. Person may not sell his item to an achri, not lend it to him. What does it mean to lend something? Sheila is to lend something that returns intact. Halva'a is a loan, something that you expect to get replaced and not come back. So you lend money. Halva'a with money because you don't expect exact coins back. You accept the amount back. You lend Sheila a clear utensil because there you expect the item that you gave to come back. So that's what actually differentiates between Sheila and Loyila Venu, that you may not lend in both perspectives. You may not lend the actual item to expect it back, not lend money. That you don't expect the item back, but you expect the repayment back. And not given as a gift. Unless he can reach his home before Shabbat. Until he gets to the house that's closest to the wall. Meaning that in his city, in the Goy's city, he reaches the outskirts of the city. Because technically he could leave it there. If he could leave it there already, we don't worry about it anymore. As long as he's out of your house before Shabbat, it's totally fine. That Rabbi Kiva is explaining the position of Beit Hillel. That he's not coming to give a third opinion here. He's saying that the Tanakam explained Beit Hillel wrong. When the Tanakam explained that Beit Hillel said you have to wait until the Nachri can get to the outskirts of his city, that's not true. Beit Hillel says as long as he's out of your house, it's totally fine. And again, Rashi brings up the issues. What's the problem here? It's his own item now. Again, it looks like he's doing your bidding, he's doing your work with your utensils, and because of that, we do not allow it unless he can get close to his house, according to Beit Shemai. Beit Yilil says, if it's his item, it's his issue. So therefore, as soon as he leaves your house, it's out of your perspective, it's out of your domain. As long as it's out of your domain, we don't worry about people getting mixed up of Shlucho anymore.